Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. So before we jump in, I want to ask you a simple question. What defines you? Maybe for you, it's um, a high school student or I'm a basketball player, obviously not me, uh, but maybe for you, it's I'm a gamer. And if I went up to your best friend, I was like, man, who is this person? Define them, whether it's a phrase or a few things. Like, what would they say? I used to think about this all the time in high school and junior high, even college. And even at this point in my life, it's more of not just what defines me, but how can I leave a legacy? Because now I'm a dad. My, my wife would say I'm an ultimate dad. I don't know what that means. I don't have the dad by yet, but I understand, right? I'm a dad. I have two kids. Um, but it's all about leaving a legacy. What can I leave behind? What can I do now right here to leave a better life for my kids uh, after me? But in high school, this is a big question. And I remember actually beginning to think about it in this very room. It looks so much different. The stage used to be over there. It wasn't here. There were screens right there in front of the windows. There were no windows in here. It was insane. But I remember sitting there as a freshman. In my youth pastor, which is still our youth pastor, Matt Cameron, he started talking about legacy. What legacy do you want to leave behind? What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be defined for? And see, if you asked my friends in high school, they would have told you completely different things than what my friends now would tell you. First, they're completely different friends. But in high school, I was into some ratchet things. I was doing some ratchet things. And my friends thought, those things define me. That I still showed up to church on Sunday morning. I still went to youth group on a Wednesday night. I still went to all the camps. I went on mission trips. But my entire life was defined by either church friends or I would have said in that moment of my life, my real friends. That these people, I don't have to hide anything, that I can do the things I want. I can say the things I want. I can get all the trouble I want. And these people over here, they don't care. And you see, I had two separate lives. I had two different friends. And Really, you could ask one, they'd be like, oh yeah, he's a cool Christian, you know, he plays drums at the church, and he's all about Jesus, he serves all the time, and then you ask my other friends, hey, does this guy go to church? They're like, church? There's no way he goes to church. And then I got to college, and obviously I know I went to Bible college, so my life drastically changed in my high school years to get me to that moment. But in college, I was like, man, how can I be different? How can I change? And also, how can I rewrite the story that wants to find me to be new? How can I be redefined? And so I was trying different things and I used social media as a platform to reach out to some old friends and have conversations with them and just check on them and see how they're doing and I invited some of them to church. And you know, I was doing everything I can because this whole thought of how would people define me? You see, if you ask my son, his name's Gavin, he's six years old. I'm not that old, but I had a son very young. Um, but if you ask my son, man, tell me about your dad. He'd be like, he's a superhero. He can do anything. And I'm trying to like break that mold because one day when he's like a teenager, I don't want to just like break his heart like daddy's not that good. I have all these flaws, these mistakes. So every now and then I'm like, hey man, I can't do that. Like, no, I'm going to have to call someone to fix that, whatever. But even right now, if anything breaks in our house, if anything goes wrong around us, he's like, daddy can fix it. And I'm like, nah, bro, I don't know about plumbing. I don't know about cars. Like, I don't know any of that. I can't fix it. And maybe you don't know this about me, I'm definitely a city boy, uh, but me and my wife bought a house two years ago, 
And it's got eight acres right behind us that our family owns. And we have a cow on our eight acres. Just one cow. She's beautiful. We, call, we just call her Mama Cow. We have no real name. She's just called Mama Cow. She's a beautiful cow. And, you know, she was just struggling the other day. She was, like, screaming, which, you know, we're all city people. So we don't even know what that sounds like. But I'm like, something's wrong with that cow. And so Gavin, my son, he's like, Daddy, go fix it. I'm like, I know nothing about cows, man. She's just out there to look pretty. Like, I don't know what to do in this situation. So I had to call some, like, vets and figure it out, call some family members that know how to deal with this. But I was like, I can't fix it. But if you ask him, it's daddy's a superhero. That daddy can fix all things. He's got it under control. If you ask my daughter, she's beautiful. She would just say nothing because she's, like, three months old. But if you ask different people in my life, they would say different things define me. My wife would say something different than my best friend. My best friend would say def- different, something different than my employer. My employer would say something different than my son, obviously. But it always begs the question, man, how would people define me? What legacy am I leaving? And maybe you're not asking yourself this question yet, but you should start. That how, what am I doing right here, right now with the people that are surrounding me? How would they define me if I left? What legacy would I be leaving behind once I leave? And you see, I always think of these questions, but then I think about Jesus. What legacy did he leave behind? And am I leaving a similar legacy? Or would people define me as the same thing? And the crazy thing about Jesus is that if you know him, it's one thing. But for the world, the one thing, the one symbol, the one action, the one thing that defines Jesus to the world is, guess what? The cross. And you see, it seems fine, right? Oh, it's the cross. Yeah, we understand. We sing about the cross this morning. When you walk into a church, there's the cross right there. If you walk outside of our church and you look on top of our building, there's a cross right there. I have a cross tattoo. Like, we always look at the cross as Jesus. That's what defines Jesus. That shows the world, hey, I'm a Christian. But you know how crazy that is? The cross isn't just a symbol. The cross is a torture device. It's a torture device. The Romans created the cross to be the most brutal, the slowest death you can imagine. The most painful death you can imagine is the cross itself. But yet we get it tattooed on us. We wear it around on chains and necklaces and bracelets, earrings. We, we, we act like it's no big deal. It's because we've lost sight of what the cross has actually done. We, we've lost sight of what he actually went through on that cross. We've lost sight of the pain he endured on that cross. The most important part is he endured it for you, for me. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 32. This is what our word says this morning for us. It says, as they went out, they found a man named Cyrene, Simon by name. And they compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. And but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You see, this story just strikes me as insane. It's crazy. Because even sitting in church this morning, reading it, it's easy to read. It makes sense. But understand, 
What happens even as they just say those few words when they had crucified him? And they crucified him. And a lot of times we just read over it just like I did. But understand that the writers right here, Matthew, could not break it apart. He could not write it down because of the pain he saw Jesus endure. There's not a single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that breaks down exactly the events of the crucifixion. Now, for one side, you got to understand that this is a common thing in the first century. The Romans created the crucifixion for criminals, for trespassers, for disobedient people. They created it for thieves. This low, agonizing, painful death. And so when the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, write it out, they don't break it apart to what actually happened. They just said they crucified him. But this morning, I just want to let you know exactly what that meant. And I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, The Passion, came out many years ago. I don't know if you watched the series a couple of years back, uh, The Bible, that it showed these events happening. It betrayed what Jesus would have gone through. It gave us a graphic, a very graphic, a very gruesome depiction of how this story unfolded. And let's be real, it's rated R. That's how intense it was. You see, if we back up in Matthew chapter 32 to where we began, it says they compelled this man to carry his cross. Why would they, care, why would they make Simon, the, the, the Cyrene, carry Jesus' cross? He wasn't the one that's guilty, according to these people. It's Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus couldn't carry it. You want to know Why? Not only was it heavy, but he was beaten, he was bruised, he was completely agonized in pain. He could barely stand up. Why? Because he was just taken before Pilate. And Pilate in this courtroom of all these people have brought all these false accusations against Jesus Christ. And he goes, is this the man you're saying he is? That he's a heretic? He's, he's a blasphemer? Is he really all these things? And people are yelling, yes, yes, yes. And he goes, all right, I'll let you choose, Jesus or Barabbas? A real criminal and a fake criminal. They didn't choose the real criminal, Barabbas. They chose Jesus. And without even just saying Jesus, they just said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So here's how the story begins to happen. They take Jesus and they put shackles on his hands and his feet and they get a thing out called the cat of nine tails. It's this whip that has sharp pieces of rock tied into it. And what Paul says, Jesus received 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. And what would happen? Jesus was tied up with these shackles and they came back and hit him in the back. And what would happen is the rocks would deep, deep in, dig into his skin. So when they came right back, it would just tear the skin off every single time. Just whip. Over and over again, 39 times. He's just taking it. Not for what he has done. He is not the criminal. He has no sin. He has no guilt. He has no mistakes. There's nothing they've said that is actually true against this man, the true son of God. But yet they continue to do it because that's what the crowd said. Jesus, not Barabbas. So they whip him 39 times. And at that moment, they unshackle him and says, all right, you're going to carry your cross to your burial site. 
Golgotha. Imagine the pain he's already gone through. And they want him to put this cross over a hundred pounds of wood upon his shoulders and back and carry it through the streets all the way to a hill named Golgotha. He couldn't do it. So they found Simon the Cyrene to carry the cross for him. And they get up on top of the mountain, the Mount Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And then it just says they crucified him. So what does that actually look like? after he's been beaten and bruised and whipped 39 times, carried the cross and made this journey all the way up to the place of the skull, you see what happens is this. They throw the cross on the ground and they throw Jesus on top of it. All the lashes, all the bruise, all the bleeding on his back, he's just laying on this wooden cross. And they get out three nine-inch nails. And they take a nail put it right in his hand, right across the main nerve of the hand, and they beat it all the way in. Imagine the pain. Then they do it to the other hand, and they're spreading his arms as wide as they possibly go, fixing his hands with a nail to a piece of wood. And they take his feet, and they put them right on top of each other like this, and put one single nail right through the both of them. But that wasn't it. Because they wanted the whole world to know that this guy, oh, he's king of the Jews. He's a tough guy. He says he's the son of God. Well, guess what? See if you can save yourself now. Jesus is what they're beginning to say to him. And as they put the nails in his hands and his feet, let him sit there, they put the crown of thorns on his head and they put a sign right above it, Jesus, king of the Jews. And guess what happens next? They hoist up this wooden cross and it booms right into the floor. He's now hanging by the nails in his hands and his feet. Gruesome, painful. And remember, and don't forget, his back is already torn to pieces from the lashings he's just gone through. Imagine the pain he's going through. The thorns on his head are piercing his skull. The nails, he's, all of his weight is on three nails. And you see, the gruesome part about the crucifixion, this is why the Romans love to do it. Because you would die not by the pain, but by the suffocation. Imagine trying to breathe with your arms stretched out wide. You're holding on by nails. The only way to breathe is to push yourself up. Imagine the pain that goes through your legs and your feet. Just enough time to, and then immediately fall back down. You see, the scripture says this. Now from the sixth hour, which was noon, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatosin. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, don't you think Jesus has gone through enough already? Beaten and bruised and lashed, carried a cross up a mountainside. He was spit on, he was mocked, he has nails in his hands and his feet. He's put a, upon this wooden cross sitting on this hill and he's surrounded by two criminals on his left and his right. He's dying a criminal's death. For what? Nothing he's done, but for what we've done. You see, he's already gone through the physical torture, the physical suffering, the physical pain. 
But then he says these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of the spiritual pain he's gone through. See, Jesus knew no sin. He knew no mistakes. He had all the temptation you and I face a hundredfold, but he never sinned. He remained obedient, he remained pure so that he could take your place on the cross, that he could bear the weight of your sins on the cross, your sins, your shame, your mistakes, your guilt, all of your problems. He was pure and remained sinless, a spotless lamb so that he could be slain for you and for me. In the moment, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand what's happening in this moment. All the wrath that God has towards sin. From Genesis 3, the beginning of time when we allowed sin to enter the Garden of Eden until this very moment, years, hundreds of years later, all of the wrath, all of the anger towards sin was now put right on Jesus only. It was all placed upon him. What the gospel shows is that in that moment, God has to look away from his son. Because Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that what? You and I can become the righteousness of God. Romans says while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. In that very moment, he took all of our sins. Past, present, future. Imagine the pain it would be just to take the sins of one person, but he took the sins of all people, not just right now, but all of the entire world, all of humanity together. He took all the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Why? Why would he do that? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my mistakes. He doesn't know what I've gone through. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you so much that he would endure the most gruesome, slowest, agonizing death of all time just to get to know you. Just to have the opportunity so that you can know the Father. You see, the cross is not some beautiful thing. It is a torture device. But the beauty comes in that the cross is a hinge into heaven. It's a doorway to the Father. It's the way, the truth, and life. And you understand what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. And you can only come to the Father through me. The cross is horrendous. But what it does is glorious. It allows you and I to have a relationship with the Father. It allows you and I to come out of the grave like Jesus said to Lazarus that get rid of your sin and death but enter into a life with Jesus. You see what happens next? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the gods that are watching him go through this painful, agonizing death for hours. They run over and they tried to get him some wine and a little sponge. He wouldn't take it. But then he looks to the heavens and he breathes his last breath as he says, it is finished. You know what that means for you and me today? It means the debt is paid. The price is paid in full that you and I once had an outstanding balance that every sin, every problem, every 
mistake we've ever made was a balance that kept adding up and adding up and adding up. And the only way for you and I to pay for that was to die on a cross like Jesus did. But you see, Jesus remained sinless, so you didn't have to die. All you have to do is believe. And how crazy is that? That he hung on a cross for hours. He was lashed 39 times. He had nails and his hands and his feet holding his weight. He died by suffocation for you, for me. You and I were the criminals. But he took our place on that cross so that we could be in the most heavenly place of all time. And that's in the presence of the Father in heaven and glory. And you see, this morning, if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never accepted what Jesus has done into your life, if you've never accepted the free gift that he gives you of eternal life, guess what? You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have nails in your hands and your feet. You don't have to go through the agonizing death that he has gone through. All you have to do this morning is say, I believe. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And because you love me, you die for me and I will accept your gift. You see, Jesus came to pay the price that we should have paid. He came because he knew exactly what we needed. We needed a savior, someone to rescue us from the bondage of sin and death. And he offers us life. And you see, the only way he could have done that is by dying. The only way we have the resurrection itself is because he had to die on a cross. And you see, you can accept that free gift of eternal life today by simply confessing and believing that he is your Lord and Savior and that you believe that he came to die for you. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.